Hello and welcome. You've tuned into Active Listening with T4 Tactics. I'm Marco Galbraith, your host, and our podcast is all about personal success and networking. We'll discuss small business tips, health and wellness issues, personal safety tips, financial gain, and a variety of other topics from professionals in the field. And once in a while, we'll throw in our area of expertise, firearm safety and active shooter response for businesses, churches, and schools. So sit back, relax, listen, and learn. Active listening with T4 Tactics. Welcome back to another episode of Active Listening with T4 Tactics. I'm your host, Marco Galbraith. Today, we've got probably one of the most important podcasts I've ever done. Uh, As you know, this November 3rd, 2020 election is probably the most critical that this country has ever seen. There's going to be major, major changes, and there's probably going to be some chaos Uh, after the results. Regardless of who wins, there's probably going to be chaos uh, for maybe a few months, well, weeks, months, years, who knows uh, where we're going with this. So I've got some guys coming in. They're going to join me a little bit later. Dan Abbott, he's the uh, executive officer of the Campbell County Militia, uh, has a pretty impressive military background. And then Walt Bannett is also going to join us uh, when Dan comes in. And he's got an extensive law enforcement background, federal law enforcement background, uh, and and a specialty with national threat level security. So they're going to be coming on. But what I wanted to do is do an intro with you on why are we doing this podcast? Why are you listening to this podcast? What is your goal? And the goal should be to simply keep you, your family, your home, and your place of work or employment safe. So we're not going to be talking about fear or paranoia. We're not here to scare anybody. We're just here to give you some of the confidence, education, skills necessary to survive certain conflicts. That's all it is. We want to give you some some thoughts and ideas and some information. There's a lot of information on the national threat level that our media refuses to put out there to us. And as you know, I've spent the last six years in Washington, D.C. participating in um, the terroristic congressional hearings for, uh, for terrorism. Uh, Every year we hear people from Congress, Senate, on both sides. This is Republicans and Democrats. And they're saying some pretty pretty unusual and alarming information that's being put out there that we're not hearing from the media. So we're going to tell you some of that today. It's not confidential. We're not breaching security. This is open to the public. It's just we're not hearing it. So... We're going to brief you on uh, on things that you may not have heard. We're going to give you a plan B. We're going to kind of kind of point you in the right direction of just being prepared for the day after this election. The country has been in complete chaos and upside down since March, uh, since the George George Floyd incident. Other incidents after that, we've seen uh, some pretty aggressive violence in the streets, in the stores, uh, personal attacks in neighborhoods and homes. So we're going to give you an idea of, uh, of how you can recognize that and then survive it. <clears throat> you have to understand first that there's several levels of awareness. Somebody that's unaware is clueless. They are not aware of their surroundings. They have no idea what's going on. The next level is aware. So they're conscious of his or her surroundings and those people are aware 
they're aware of what's going on, of, of what's around them, who's around them. There's alert and that person easily identifies a threat. They can walk into a parking lot or a store and their, their head is on a swivel. They're not focused on one thing. They're certainly not looking at their cell phone as they're walking through the parking lot or the store. And then there's alarmed. It's ready with a planned practice response to a threat or an attack. Unfortunately, folks, that's how we have to be. When I went to high school, um, I graduated in 84, and I carried a shotgun in my back window in my truck because my last class was uh, gun safety. We would go to the shooting range. We would take the gun apart. We were living in condition white. Nobody ever thought about me taking that gun and shooting up the school. Um, I carried a folding buck knife on me in school in 1984. In school, nobody had any concerns about it whatsoever. Jump ahead now to uh, 2007, 2008. The kids can't even wear t-shirts to school with them. We sell T4 Tactics t-shirts and one of them has a picture of an AR on it and they're not allowed to wear that to school. So look where we went. We went from condition white to condition, we're right in between condition yellow, teetering on going to condition red. You have absolutely got to be ready with a planned practice response to things that are coming and things that are noticeable. We talk about threat assessment and risk management. You have to do that in your personal life. Businesses do it all the time. We have to do it in our personal life. So you have to have a level of awareness. After this podcast, I would love for you to do some homework for the weekend and go sit in a mall parking lot or go sit in a gas station parking lot or a big box store parking lot and don't stalk people because I don't want you to get arrested but when you pull up to go to to go do your grocery shopping just sit in your car for five minutes and look look at people and look at their different levels of awareness who is the person that's walking through the the parking lot buried in their cell phone Remember, when we talk about levels of awareness, that is unaware. That's completely unaware. And if you do this homework assignment, I guarantee you, you will see people that are sitting out there, they're walking through parking lots, parking lots or the mall, completely clueless of what is around them. So, so just take a minute and then compare those people who get out of their car, keys in the pocket, cell phone in the pocket, and they're walking briskly to the front door. They have a purpose. There's a that's that's an example I just gave you of a soft target and a hard target. Bad guys go after soft targets. So think about that. Do that little assignment. You're going to be amazed at how many people out there are absolutely clueless, wandering through the parking lot aimlessly with no point. That's the person that if I was a bad guy, I'm going to attack them. They're an easy target and by their personal demeanor and uh, body language is telling me they're an easy target to attack. So don't have that. Think about that. Walk with the purpose. Walk with the plan. You have to have a threshold stimulus. So a threshold stimulus that we'll call THS to make this a little bit shorter talking. Um, someone walks up to your home. 11 o'clock at night, you're watching TV. You see a car pull up in front of the house and someone gets out of that car and walks up to the house. Your next THS or threshold stimulus should be, okay, I have to react to that. That's unusual. 11 o'clock at night, I'm not expecting anything, so what am I gonna do? I might turn out the lights and watch them so they can't see me peering out the window. I might call the police, I, depending on your level of, uh, of self-defense or awareness or how your, your gut, 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 
Always go with your gut. Remember, if your gut is wrong, it's wrong and back away from it. So you may go retreat to a safe room. You might uh, obtain protection. That's your, that's your next THS. More suspicious, they knock on the door. Okay, now somebody's knocking on my door at 11 o'clock. That is highly suspicious because I don't have people over past six or seven o'clock. I'm not expecting anybody. They kick in your door. You go to the next threshold stimulus. You issue verbal warnings to the intruder. Remember, you're already in your safe room. So what I'm getting at, and we're gonna go on with this, but what I'm getting at is keep one step ahead of them. Don't sit there on the couch, and for, for goodness sakes, don't open the door if your gut tells you, who is this suspicious person walking in my house? You wouldn't believe how many people open the door and then are victims of a home invasion. So the intruder enters the safe room. You've gone to your next threshold stimulus. You keep moving up, you keep moving up. You've got your firearm with you and you've called 911. They kick in the door and that's where you have to decide, am I justified to use my firearm for self-defense? Bethany Harrison, the uh, Lynchburg Commonwealth attorney, who has an extremely busy, busy schedule, came out and was nice enough to do a podcast for us. And this is to keep you guys and girls safe. Did a 13-minute podcast. Uh, and we just posted a few, about, maybe about a month and a half ago. Uh, but Bethany came out and read the Virginia law. We didn't sit here and say, what if? Or, hey, what happens if this, you know, if I'm doing this, what if, what if, what if? We can what if all day long. What you absolutely must know when we're talking about uh, a possible chaotic situation here after November 3rd, 4th, when the, when the uh, election is, is announced, you need to know when you can use your firearm and when you can't. You have to know what elements you need. And when she was reading those laws, the word reasonable kept coming up. Reasonable, reasonable. So I would I would encourage you to listen to that podcast from Bethany Harrison, Lynchburg Commonwealth Attorney. Excellent job. It's only 13 minutes. And that 13 minutes can keep you out of a lot of trouble. Again, it's strictly reading from the law. Whenever I have someone take my gun class, uh, people take the, the firearm safety classes for concealed permit uh, or even active shooter training that I'm teaching. A lot of people will ask, they'll raise their hand and say, what if I'm in my house and, and you know what, I stop them right there because I can't tell you you're good. A lot of people want a green light to shoot somebody or they're afraid to shoot somebody. Remember, the last thing we want to do, the last thing we want to do is to take a human life. If we can retreat, if we can get away with that person, you know what? That's what I'm going to do because you're going to get you're going to be taken down the police department, and you will get sued uh, for sure in in civil trial if you use your firearms. The last thing we want to do is shoot somebody. But people will raise their hand and they'll say, "Well, what if I?" And I'll stop them right there because we can't. What if? So instead of what if this happens, go listen to that 13 minute podcast and know what the law says about what if. We have to understand how our body is going to react when you're sitting watching TV and a carload of, uh, you know what, we'll call them unrulies so we don't get anybody mad in this sensitive world. A carload, uh, three or four carloads of unrulies pull up in front of your house and are targeting you for whatever reason. You put something on social media, your, your business doesn't align with what they do. Um, somebody in your family is dating somebody they shouldn't be doing or or it can be a whole if you look back at the news it's a whole lot of things on why people attack other people in this crazy crazy uh, unrest world 
So you're sitting there and all of a sudden you're under attack at your home or your place of business, or you're sitting in your car and you're blocked in by violent protesters, looters and rioters. What do you do? First of all, your normal heart rate when you're driving is around 70 to 80 beats per minute. You're going to jump. As soon as you see that your life is in grave danger, boom, you're going to jump to 180 beats per minute. That's fast. You're going to get a huge adrenaline dump. You're going to start losing fine motor skills. You're going to lose complex motor skills. You're going to lose your cognitive processing, loss of peripheral vision. You're going to lose loss of depth perception, loss of near vision, audio exclusion. I'm telling you this because you're going to go completely upside down. If you haven't had a near-death experience, um, you're in for a surprise. People think, well, I'm going to, this is what I do, this is what I do. Unless you practice it and practice it properly with a plan, remember, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. So you have to have a plan, you have to have a script, you got to know how to control your body. At 180 beats per minute, you're going to freeze. Statistically, it takes 20 seconds for somebody to freeze and another 20 seconds for them to unfreeze. If you're under attack, that's 40 seconds you've just given that, that bad guy. A lot of people will have irrational fight or flight. A lot of people will do submissive behavior. Let me tell you, folks, under predatory violence that we talk about in our active shooter training, you do not want to be submissive. You do not want to be passive. You can't hesitate. You cannot edit things out, just like the human brain is, is famous for doing. It's not happening to me. It doesn't happen here. This isn't real. Uh, it was a car backfiring. That wasn't a gunshot. It was somebody slamming a door. That wasn't a gunshot because it doesn't happen to me here. You know, I travel the country and I interview victims of active shooter attacks. Uh, and I've probably interviewed 120 people between law enforcement, victims, witnesses, and survivors of these horrific attacks. And do you know what? Uh, roughly 120. And do you know what all of them say throughout the whole entire country? And they're all from different demographics. They were all from concerts, churches, business locations, uh, parks, um, outdoor venues. They all have two things in common. I never thought it would happen to me here and the attacker had such an absolutely calm look on his or her face. I can't believe how calm they looked. So lots of things going on and uh, and we have to be aware of that, but we have to be aware of how our body's going to react. We gotta be able to control that. So we gotta combat breathe. Combat breathing is just controlling how you react to something. Remember, you're gonna be 180 beats per minute, you're gonna be out of control, your adrenaline dump, you're gonna lose all those uh, skills that I just said, you gotta start combat breathing. Easiest and best way to combat breathe is tongue to the roof of your mouth, breathe in really deep, hold it for a second, let it out, release the tongue and let it out. You're gonna start controlling your body on how it needs to be, how we need to go. So combat breathe, Work on that. Practice it as you're driving. That's going to start getting your body under control, along with some other things that we talk about in the active shooter training on how to control yourself. But you've got to control yourself. So what items do you need to survive? If you're locked down, we just went through COVID uh, a few months ago. We're kind of still going through it, but we just went through a major lockdown in a lot of states. So think about what you need if we have complete chaos after this election. Go through your house, go through every inch, literally every inch of your house, the basement, 
the main floor, the garage, the kitchen, the bathroom, walk through your house, medication, food, water, fuel for generator, first aid. You don't have to go overboard and go purchase a whole bunch of stuff at the grocery store and, and be paranoid and fear. But the next time you're at the grocery store, grab two cans of tuna, grab some spaghetti and spaghetti sauce, grab some beans, grab a bag of rice, but do a little bit more. Get Make sure your medications are brought up. Make sure you have a first aid kit. Again, you don't have to go overboard. I'm not a fan of the MREs or the, the shelf life meals that last um, 25 years because there's a lot of sodium in that. Sodium is going to make you deplete your water supply. And for a lot of people, sodium is going to raise that blood pressure, which you don't need when we're upside down. So go to the grocery store, make some extra purchases. It's not expensive. You can go to redcross.org uh, or FEMA, FEMA.gov. Those websites have a lot of guidance that you can do for being prepared for a hurricane. You can trans translate that into what you need uh, to survive for things that are going up here. So I'm going to take a quick break because I think Walt and uh, Dan are just about here coming up in the parking lot. So I'm just going to pause for one second. When we come back, uh, I'll be introducing them and we'll let them uh, let them speak. So stand by for about a fraction of a second. Okay, that was a brief second. I've got uh, Dan Abbott and Walt Bannett here in the uh, studio. And we're going to um, talk about some, this is where we're going to talk about threat level and, and some things that you probably haven't heard about. Uh, we're going to go over now. So Dan, Walt, welcome. Hey, how we doing, Marco? Good, good. Um, Dan, you want to say give, give them your background, uh, where you come from and what you're involved in? Sure. Um, like Marco just said, my name's Dan Abbott. I'm the uh, executive officer for Campbell County Militia. Um, a little bit of history or background on me. I grew up in uh, upstate New York. I spent uh, six years as a firefighter and a medic in upstate New York as a volunteer. Um, I enlisted in the Army and spent uh, five years at Fort Bragg with the 82nd Airborne Division and also spent a year and a half in the Special Forces Qualification Course at Fort Bragg. Um, I now belong to the uh, Virginia State Army National Guard out of uh, Powhatan, just outside of Richmond, and uh, climb trees for a living in my free time. Excellent, excellent. And uh, busy time now with tree work? Yes and no. Yeah, um, yeah. Know, it's uh, We're not scheduled weeks in advance, but work is coming in steady. Right, right. Good, good. Economy's good. Yeah, and Walt. What kind of background do you have? Right, Marco, I have 37 years federal law enforcement experience in Los Angeles for 14 years and the rest in the Washington, D.C. area and have worked with some of the best federal prosecutors uh, in the country. And also as a contractor uh, during that 37 years, the last four years was with State Department diplomatic security. So a uh, total of 37 years federal law enforcement and a lot of experience and a lot uh, of experience to address uh, things that are happening in the country right now. Absolutely. And and we met because we've worked, I think I did five, five or years. five years yeah. uh, working with you at Dignitary um, Protection in, right. in D.C. for the Congressional Hearings on Terrorism. And, uh, and you did it before me for yeah, about 10 years total. 10 years total, yeah. So that's where we've learned a lot of uh, scholarly um, information. So talk about Talk about some things that, that they need to know, that these people need to know. Well, right now, uh, if you have the right news sources, you can see that there are a lot of hot spots in the country, predominantly Antifa, mm -hmm. BLM oriented, that are wreaking havoc on cities such as Portland, Seattle, Chicago, even the nation's capital. And they're largely going unabated local 
uh, politicians and even at the state level are allowing people to run free under the guise of peaceful protests. Well, they're everything but uh, peaceful. Almost 700 police officers have been injured nationwide to combat these peaceful protests or quote-unquote wow. peaceful protests. So it's pretty nasty. And people ask, well, what can the President of the United States do? Right now, uh, President Trump's hands are tied not so much with what he can do, but it's a bad political move, uh, to be honest with you, about mm-hmm. uh, uh, right before an election. But there is the Insurrection Act of 1807 that the president can invoke, and that allows for the use of the military and the state national guard to be under the control of the president to address insurrection in the United States. And by definition, the insurrection are acts of violence. And that's what Antifa is doing. That's what BLM is doing. And people need to get learned up on those organizations. They're not here to help people. They're here basically to take the country over. And they say as much uh, as part of their mission statement. And the president also has the seditious conspiracy statute uh, at his disposal. Actually, the Department of Justice does uh, uh, itself. And that was used in 1993 in the Trade Center bombings. And basically, it's a 20-year felony statute. And that statute is very powerful. Uh, As I said, up to 20 years federal incarceration. But it has to be predicated on acts of violence against the United States. And that's what happened in the Trade Center. Uh, So... Anyway, and going back to to the Insurrection Act of 1807, it's been amended several times, but it's been invoked in this country, if you recall, in the 1950s and 60s to integrate uh, the schools the uh, militaries brought in, and also in the aftermath of the Rodney King incident. uh, the riots that happened, the uh, mayor of Los Angeles petitioned the governor who petitioned the president to bring in a military presence uh, to quell the riots because havoc was being reached in the LAPD and other police jurisdictions were essentially overpowered. Uh, and so also another step is that we have state and local law enforcement, like I said, almost 700 being injured nationwide in uh, these uh, so-called peaceful protests. And a lot of prosecutors are in step with the violent protesters, and they're not prosecuting these individuals. They'll be arrested and they'll be released uh, after a charge and no prosecution. So what the Department of Justice can do is deputize state and local law enforcement uh, as uh, deputy U.S. Marshals. And if they're assaulted, then that means federal charges can be brought against the people committing the acts of violence against officers. They can be charged federally and face uh, Good. federal time and time <clears throat> in prison. And that's a powerful, powerful tool. And another tool, too, is to use grand juries. And I know for a fact that those are uh, uh, grand jury investigations, criminal uh, grand jury investigations are open in several cities in the United States to issue subpoenas against Antifa, BLM, and to see how they're funded, who's funding them, and when they trace that to like a pallet of bricks being brought in a delivery truck, well, somebody's financing that, somebody's uh, paying for the uh, bricks, the transportation, uh, the organization, and then also the demonstrations that follow and the destruction of property. So those people can be charged with a whole bunch of uh, statutes at the federal level uh, when they commit acts of arsons, when they cross state line lines, rather. And uh, all these things are powerful tools. But right now, it's a perilous time because, you know, the president, I think, would uh, has been advised not to really go up against these people at this time because it's a presidential election that's coming up right. in two and a half weeks. So that's what we're faced with. But those are the tools that the president has. And one thing, too, I want to say, people need to get educated on what has happened 
with the federal government over the last few years, and especially with the prior administration, the FBI was weaponized against uh, President Trump to stop his uh, election, and then also after he was uh, elected to stop his presidency. Same thing with the CIA, and uh, people, I believe, have heard about the FISA abuses, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, and some people haven't heard them, and I, you know, it amazes me how many people are almost willfully blind to current events. And well, and because they're not hearing it from their media. True, you're, very and, true. And let me say that everything you're hearing today is from the three of us that spend time in the field getting scholarly information. We're not, the three of us aren't watching CNN, Fox, we're not getting Wikipedia. This is stuff that we hear in our professional um, positions with 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 what we do. So yeah, you're it, this this is this is facts, and this is the, a lot of stuff you're hearing today. Like I said in the, the beginning, is not from the media. It's from scholarly information. So yeah, so when you talk about that, you're you're talking facts. You're not right, and the people right. haven't heard about FISA because they're they're not putting that out right. there. And the FISA court itself said that it was misled, and that's a polite way of saying they were lied to by the FBI. A lot of people don't know that that was even stated by the FISA court. I believe it was July or August of 2016. Mm -hmm. They realized that the FISA warrant application to spy on the Trump campaign essentially is what it amounted to uh, uh, was fabricated, uh, or what actually was fabricated, was predicated on lies, and that's what came out, and that's what's coming out now with the recent disclosures of what the FBI was doing, how it was weaponized, uh, and that's appalling, and people need to be brought up to speed on that, and how they can help themselves is by getting out to vote, and a lot of people don't realize that had the number of people who voted for President Trump in Virginia in 2016 had turned out in November of 2019, we would have had double the state turnout, and the state legislature would not have flipped. Right. I mean, that's incredible, and a lot of people... You know, voter apathy for whatever reasons. Oh, the government will take care of itself. Well, no, it won't. And the people have to get involved and, you know, number one, get educated to what's going on around them. Don't rely on mainstream media. And there are plenty of news sources to go to where you can actually get the facts and the truth. And get out there and be active in the community. Encourage others to vote. I mean, that's a very powerful tool. And also what Dan is bringing to the table, uh, the militia. And people look at that as being a bad word. Well, the word militia is in the U.S. Constitution. Absolutely. So the founding fathers. Which a lot of people uh, don't know. You know, uh, True. And the founding fathers uh, view the value of it. So, so shortly after 9-11, you were with the Department of Treasury. Correct. And can you talk about that investigation? That, because this is important for people to know that we've just had a major attack on U.S. soil. You're furthering the investigation in... Yeah, under was, the prior administration, right. President, I'll say it, Obama, under right, Obama's right, administration. Right. Listen to this story, folks. Yeah, it was uh, Operation Green Quest that we were a part of, and that was to combat uh, terrorism and have a multi-agency, multifaceted approach. So I spent five years on a multi-agency task force and helped actually draft over 100-count indictment against uh, certain groups in the United States, uh, predominantly Muslim-oriented uh, organizations that were financing uh, bad acts throughout the country. And we traced uh, hundreds of millions of dollars all over the world. And like I said, we spent five years on that investigation. Could have indicted the top three founding fathers of the Muslim Brotherhood in the United States and a lot of other people, and we, like I said, issued subpoenas, uh, we traveled overseas, gathered information, 
And then one day, inexplicably, we were shut down by the prior administration. The then Attorney General had his Deputy Attorney General call the Eastern District of Virginia, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the acting U.S. Attorney, no explanation, said shut that investigation down. And we were left bewildered because these were bad actors. Granted, they're in suits and ties, but they're financing what we believe to be terror organizations. And our entire investigation was shut down. And not a month goes by that I don't hear about that investigation, or at least the targets, how they're getting more and more emboldened. And that was totally, uh, you know, government misconduct, uh, corruption in the government. I got to see it firsthand and uh, had to swallow that bitter pill. And I made noise about it and was told and, uh, you know, stop making noise about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my nature is like, do what's right for love of country. But anyway, the people got away with it. And, and, uh, and, and what, what, Many listening don't have a law enforcement background, but what all those arrest warrants and seizures and investigation would have would have eventually led to is search warrants where you're going to find out even more information. Yeah, we, we people are going to start talking when right. they're in jail. Right, we did a lot of search warrants. We had SWAT team entries. Uh, yeah, we hit a place that the uh, CIA shooter, uh, you know, was. Uh, a member of the makeshift mosque at that location in Herndon, Virginia. Uh, so we didn't know what was behind the door, but we had a treasure trove of information that we obtained, and we traced money uh, overseas, uh, you know, in violation of certain acts uh, uh, as far as uh, prohibited transactions with certain countries, and everything was on a silver platter and teed up, and we were shut down. Yeah, uh, yeah. And if you don't think those people are still operating freely in this country because that was shot down, they are. And these are the things that you have to be aware of and listen to because if you don't think our country is vulnerable right now after this election, these people could be ready to strike. And that's that's a whole reason why Dan, Walt, and I put on this this uh, free workshop or seminar, where you want to call it, at Liberty a few weeks ago. And, and that's why we're doing this, to get the information out to people that couldn't attend that. And but, that's uh, an excellent point, because a lot of people have forgotten about radical Islam and the terror groups that are operating in this country. They're all over the place. They're waiting to unleash. They actually train on U.S. soil, and that's the intel that we have. And that's even been thrown out to the public, uh, where it's open source information, and if they want to strike. But then... They may be sitting back and saying, well, the country's destroying itself right. with acts of insurrection, with uh, what's going on in Portland and Seattle. And, uh, you know, so why should we strike? But if they do, just imagine that, you know, the havoc that's going to uh, render to the U.S. infrastructure and just uh, they're ready. You know, day-to-day living. Mm-hmm. We have to be ready because they're ready. That's good information. We'll come back to you. We'll give Dan, uh, you want to... Um, open up with what you do and what you know and uh, interesting stuff. And remember, folks, militia is not. I, let me tell you, Dan had called me and um, and asked me to invited me to come to one of the Campbell County militia meetings, and uh, and I went with some reservations because militia is a bad word. Um, he'll explain to you, and and I've always thought of militia being bubba's and overalls and and uh, spitting chewing tobacco and just yeehaw out shooting guns. Let me tell you. I went to this meeting and it was nothing what I thought it was going to be. These guys, there were people in Campbell County militia uniforms. They're orderly fashion in a classroom. They're talking about policy books. They spent a lot of time talking about who has chainsaws, who has trucks, who has farm equipment, because this was right after the derecho went through in the Midwest. And they're talking about the militia will be the ones out uh, in force clearing roads and helping people get trees off their houses. So. 
it's and, and Dan can tell you this, but I, I was very, very impressed at the professionalism of everyone there in that meeting. Um, yeah, welcome, Dan. So yeah, and you know, Marco, like like you said, and uh, Walt touched on it too. Um, Militia, as in the word, has gotten a, a really bad rap, particularly through the 90s, and that was kind of an earned reputation. Um, a lot of the, the reputation that they had as being kind of anarchal, heavily paramilitary, uh, a little bit... Sometimes some of those organizations lean towards being a little bit white supremacist or a little bit neo-Nazi, and it, it's a bad reputation, and honestly, it's a reputation that they earned. And... You know, we're now in a position where we kind of have to retake that word. And the reason that we have to retake the word militia, the reason we don't just call ourselves, you know, a, a community watch or a constitutional guard or something like that is that, like Walt said, militia, the word is constitutionally protected. And there's a reason that that word militia is constitutionally protected. Our founders recognized the importance of militia as a community asset. Those guys weren't just just crazy guys with guns that were ready for a war. That wasn't the case at all. Militia predated the American Revolution by well over a hundred years in America and those were always a community support organization. Um, they didn't have a volunteer fire department, they didn't have a volunteer ambulance corps, they didn't have a you know State Department of Transportation or any of that. They had a militia and it filled all of those roles. When someone's house is on fire they called out the militia. Those guys formed a bucket brigade. If uh, they wanted to build a town hall called up the militia, they did a barn raising, stood up a new building. And the leadership for those organizations historically was always the the finest, highest quality men in every community. It was the pastor of the local church, it was the mayor of the town, it was you know like a Patrick Henry, a, a well-respected, uh, sometimes wealthy businessmen, merchants, lawyers. It was it was the finest citizens that they had at their disposal that stepped up to fill those roles as leaders in the militia. And it needs to be the same thing today. Our, our founders wrote it in stone that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Typically, when you ask people in America, what does the Second Amendment say, they immediately go to the second half of the amendment and say that um, the right of the people to, be, people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But in reality, the thrust of the amendment is that a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state. Absolutely. And we've, we've really, really lost that. If you, if you look at America as a whole, there's only two counties in the entire nation that have true constitutional, legitimate, recognized militias. And those are counties right here in Virginia. You know, I, I interact with a lot of patriots, um, many of them that I have networked with through my military career that are spread around the country and, in fact, around the world that I interact with on a regular basis. And all of them, without fail, want to know what's going on in Virginia. And for a while, that, that baffled me. I couldn't understand why in the world they were so curious about Virginia when they're not from here, they've never lived here. And finally, I asked one of the guys, I was like, why does everyone care so much about Virginia? And he said, well, Tan, that's easy. He says, so goes Virginia, so goes the nation. If, that's right. If we lose it in Virginia, you know, this is, this is the George Washington, the Thomas Jefferson, the Patrick Henry. This is, this is their state. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people still recognize that. And, uh, you know, in the same way that Ronald Reagan said that America was the last bastion of freedom on earth, and if we lost it there, we would never regain it. Um, 
I believe the same thing is true for the nation with Virginia. Absolutely. If, if we lose it here in Virginia, I think it will be lost. It'll only be a matter of time before the entire nation falls, follows suit and falls. But anyway, back to uh, militia there. We're, we're, we're working, fighting an uphill battle. Marco touched on it a little bit about making the organization what it, it historically is supposed to be, and that's a, a constitutional organization that supports its community. Um, kind of the, the thrust of it is that it's, it's neighbors helping neighbors. And, uh, you know, that way if a, a storm blows through, we have networked with all the people that have chainsaws, that have trucks. We have, you know, people that that's their profession that, that organize that and coordinate it. And we're able to come right alongside of law enforcement and local fire departments. We can clear roads to make a uh, way for ambulances and fire trucks to get through so that um, if there was any kind of a long-term power outage, we would be able to get aid to all these rural communities. And uh, yeah, the the guns and the, the Second Amendment portion of it obviously is a, a very important part of it too. And so we are training all the time to be, um, because you know the amendment says that a well-regulated militia, and so we have to be well-regulated. And the Constitution of Virginia takes it a step farther and uh, really clears up any uh, confusion as to what a militia actually is and states that it is uh, all males that are ages 16 to 55 trained to arms. So that's a little bit of a requirement for us is that we maintain a status of being trained to arms. That way if you know the governor ever did call us up that uh, we would be capable of filling those needs. You know from my, my military background, uh, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier. I spent time in the Special Forces Qualification Course. And for those of you who don't know or understand the, the mission set for Special Forces when they go overseas, um, they act as a force multiplier. Um, and the, the purpose of the mission set is frequently to overthrow governments or topple regimes in bad places like Iraq or wherever where you have a, a dictatorial regime that uh, oppresses the people or poses a threat to American national security. And so we work towards acting as a force multiplier to overthrow governments and topple regimes. And if I look at what's happening in America today, I see the block of instruction that we receive being played out on the streets in America every day. So y'all didn't listen to what he just said. Yeah, say that again, because they need to get this. For, for those of you who aren't aware of what's occurring in America. What's occurring in America is there is an insurgent force, I would call it a Marxist revolutionary army, that is working toward an end, which is toppling the government in America. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a very clear-cut reason that people like that hate America and they hate the government that we have here. And the reason for that is that what we have in America is a constitutional republic. And the purpose of government in America in a constitutional republic is to protect the individual liberty of the minority and to limit the power of government. And those who are in government and hold those higher positions are terrified of the people having power. And with that model that the purpose of government is to protect individual liberty, what is there that keeps government in whole as a check? Typically, if you ask people in America, well, what keeps government in check? Well, they're very quick to say, oh, well, we've got the system of checks and balances. There's three different branches. They all check each other, and that keeps government in check. And that's partially true, but it's not the whole truth. 
that system of checks and balances exists to ensure that one branch of government does not become disproportionately powerful to the other branches. But what is the mechanism that keeps government as a whole, the entire entity, in check from taking individual liberty or failing to do its job? And that agency is a constitutional militia because in a government like this, power was always designed to reside at the lowest level. It was designed to reside with the people. And what allows that power to actually reside with the people? What keeps rural America from being subject to the rule of a higher population density in a city? Because if you look at a constitutional republic, it differs from a democracy in that in a democracy, 51% rules and tells the other 49% what to do. But that's not what we have in America. We have a, a system of government that is supposed to protect the rights of even 10% even or less of the population so that they're not ruled with an iron fist by the, the larger population majority. And, you know, if, if you look at a, there's a quote from uh, Mao that said, uh, true political power comes from the muzzle of a gun. And there's, there's a lot of truth to that. I would, uh, I would argue that apart from the power of God, there's really only two real powers on earth. One of those is force of, force of violence, and the other is threat of violence. Um, the, the only way for power to reside at the lowest level is for us to maintain that well-regulated militia. Let me, uh, let me give you an example of, of how and why that's so important. If, if you look at the state of Virginia as a case study, you have 106 counties and 132 uh, city municipalities. And that is entirely my fault. That's a cell phone, yes. folks. I guess I should have shut that No, you're off. a busy man. That's good. That's good. <laughs> anyway. could have broken the commercial because that's cool commercial music. <laughs> yeah, that's what we need. <laughs> um, anyway, where was I? You were talking about uh, how many counties and cities. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah so there's uh, something like 132 counties or city municipalities in the state of Virginia. I believe 106 counties. Um, if you look at the state of Virginia, 104 of those 132 counties or city municipalities passed 2A sanctuary resolutions, which for those of you who don't know, it's basically just a, a declaration from the county saying that they will not spend county resources or county money to enforce Richmond's gun control, which is a nice idea. I appreciate that the counties are willing to at least verbally stand up and resist the tyranny, but the reality is it has no real teeth. It's not a law. It doesn't prevent Richmond from coming here and enforcing it themselves. It just states that they won't spend their money to do it. But what it does show us is it does show us where those counties stand politically and that they are willing to stand up. So let's look at those 104 counties. And let's say that each one of those 104 counties had a 100-member constitutional militia, which, if I'm being honest, I think that's a really low estimate. Um, I'm familiar with pretty significant number of the counties in this area, um, 340 members, 260 members, 125 members, 85 members. The vast majority of them are over 100 members, so I think it's a low estimate. And if we also figured in that we estimate, say, 50 sheriff's deputies per county, um, which again I think is probably a low estimate, but 
if we use those numbers, 100 members of a constitutional militia, 50 members of a county sheriff's department for 104 counties, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 15,000 men-at-arms that would answer to the counties. They would answer to the lowest level of government and put the power back in the hands of the people. Now, for perspective, the entire end strength for the Virginia State Army National Guard is 7,500 members. The Virginia State Police end strength is 1,800, and I don't think they're actually anywhere near that. I believe they're somewhere shy of 1,700 members. Mm -hmm. So for perspective, if the counties have 15,000 men-at-arms and the state has less than 10,000, the numbers really aren't in their favor to begin with. But if you look at it a little deeper and realize that the Army National Guard and the Virginia State Police, they live in these communities. I know a lot of them. The vast majority of them are red-blooded patriots that believe in the Constitution. They believe in the people. They Amen. believe in the power of the people. That's right. um, you know, that's that's one of the my close interaction with and personal knowledge of those guys is one of the most compelling reasons for me to continue to support law enforcement. Enforcement, 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 enforcement is, is, I know so many of them, and I'm so familiar with the character, and they're between a rock and a hard place, and uh, I'm. I'm willing to support them because I understand the quality of those men's character and the vast majority of them are red-blooded American patriots who, who love their country and uh, they will side with us if push comes to shove. So, And the overreach of government, what we're kind of touching on is the mayors and city managers of these cities and counties are telling law enforcement to stand down. Let these rioters and let these looters what we've heard vent their frustrations or express themselves and there's businesses and homes and people that are being well businesses and homes that are being destroyed cities are being destroyed because the mayors and the governor's uh political people are stepping forward and telling law enforcement stand down well not only are they telling them to stand down but they're defunding the police absolutely i just want to interject i've been asked with you know my nearly four decades of law enforcement experience how can i support a militia well, Dan is a perfect example of why I support militias. And people say, well, what about what happened recently in Michigan? That was a group of people who called themselves a militia. They yeah. were everything but yeah. a militia. Yeah, the media is calling yeah, them a militia. Exactly, and that's to yeah. put a black eye right. on what a militia They were not militia. Run is. Right. They weren't. And so I wholeheartedly support uh, the use of militias. And that's not a bad word uh, for me, militia. And when it's done properly, like Dan is talking about, it's a powerful tool for love of country and to keep uh, this country intact as a republic as it was intended by the founding fathers. That's right. That's right. And Dan, you've actually kind of, not to get into the to militia business, but you guys have actually removed some people from your group because of improper social media posts or, I don't want to say red flags, that's kind of a scary word right now, <laughs> yeah. but, but because of, uh, of concerning issues. That's not the people you want in there. You're done. You're out of our group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have put a a lot of time and effort into uh, creating bylaws and codes of conduct and charters and all of that stuff that ensures that the people that are involved are of the highest caliber, that they are upstanding citizens. We've got a huge number of former and current military. Um, we have a significant number of uh, prior law enforcement. We have females, African-Americans. I saw, yeah, I saw everything. Mm -hmm. At the meeting I went to, I saw females, African-Americans. Um, and uh, so there's, there's, it's every kind of background. This isn't, re this isn't just the typical 
white male. That's what it's for. It's everybody. Yeah, yeah. love of country doesn't. And love of country. Love of country. Love of country. Absolutely, it, which is what we're voting for November third. Exactly. Exactly. Love of country. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's it's a little deeper than that. If you if you care about your your individual liberty, um, and you know, the other part to it is, if if we look at the direction that this country is moving in, um, the amount of political civil unrest increases almost by the day. Mm-hmm. You know. Every week that goes by, I, I look at the news and I go, what in the world is happening in my country? And, you know, I have conversations with a lot of people, probably probably hundreds of people a week. And I hear one reoccurring theme from almost everyone that I talk to. And it's something along the lines of, what can we do? We have to do something. Because there are so many people, and honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably one of those people that Absolutely. is already aware. You already see what's happening in your country, and we feel helpless. We, we feel like there's there's nothing that we can do, and if things continue to deteriorate, what are we going to do? We're going to we're going to hide in our home with our gun, mm-hmm. and you know, take on the hordes or take on an army or or whatever the the situation is, and that scenario of of standing alone. The, the honest truth of the matter is that's a scenario doomed to failure. Um, True. You know, you've, you've got all sorts of, there's probably a hundred different analogies that have something to the effect of, well, if you take one stick, you can break it with your hands, but if you bundle five or six or ten sticks together, now all of a sudden you can't break them with your hands. And, you know, that there's safety in numbers and... That's absolutely true, and you know I, I hear people say all the time, you know, in in all different professional circles, that it's all about who you know, and that's absolutely true too. And the militia is just an absolutely fantastic support network to have from your community. Mm-hmm. You're, you're networking with all of the other red-blooded patriots who care about their community and care about their fellow Americans and care about individual liberty. And I have had, I have gained and profited more from being involved with the county militia in the past eight months than I have from any other organization I have ever been involved with. And that includes the United States Army, which is 520,000 members that I networked with. And uh, I have just been absolutely blown away by the quality of character of the men and women that are involved with this organization. It's just, just absolutely boggled my mind. And the more people that we have that are of that high caliber of character, the more people of that kind of character will be attracted to it. And it just, it's, at this point, it's almost like a, an exponential growth. Um, you know, I, I hear people asking all the time, and I touched on that just a minute ago, about um, what can we do? We need to do something. And that's absolutely true. And, you know, the thing is, as far as government in America is concerned, going, going back to that subject, we as Americans, we the people, delegated authority to the government. We delegated at every level. We delegated authority to the federal government, the state government, the local government, and everything in between. And we can delegate authority, but we can't delegate responsibility. If if Walt and uh, Marco and I um, get together and, you know, Marco's a customer, he wants to build a house, and I'm the building contractor. Marco and I sit down, we look at everything, blueprint, budget, all the above, and uh, Mark and I agree, okay, no problem. We're going to build this house. It's going to cost you X amount. Then I turn around to Walt, who's my foreman. He's a project manager for me. He's not in real life, but for the sake of the analogy, he is. And I say, okay, Walt, here's a set of blueprints, and this is the budget. I need you to go build this house for us. And uh, 
He goes, all right, roger that, and he moves out. And he doesn't really like the location, so he builds on the property next door. He doesn't like the blueprints Marco picked out, so he uses a set he had at the house. And he thought Marco was pretty cheap, and he was going to spend more money and make it nicer. And, yeah, the house is built in the wrong spot. It's not the right house, and he spent way too much money. Now, Marco comes to me and goes, Dan, what in the world? We talked about this. We had a budget. We had a plan. What happened? I don't have the luxury of being able to go, oh, well, Marco, that's not my fault. That was, you know, project foreman. I don't get that luxury. I don't get to pass the buck. And the same thing is true with government. We can delegate authority to government, but we can't delegate responsibility for what government does. That responsibility always belongs to we the people. And if you look at what I would consider be the mess that America is today and getting worse all the time, that's the fault of we the people for being asleep at the wheel and not holding government responsible right. or not holding government accountable for the authority that we delegated to them. They have grossly abused the authority that we delegated to them, and we've done nothing about it. Part of the reason we've done nothing about it is we don't have a way to do anything about it because we have allowed the power to move to the government, and we have failed to save any for ourselves. And really, the only way that I see that we can get that back is to work towards building these constitutional militias in every county in the nation that those constitutional militias are made up of the finest men in every community, the finest women in every community, that they're plugged into their local governments, they're plugged into their local sheriff's departments. This, this idea for so long in the GOP that, oh, well, we're the silent majority, um, that hasn't worked. Look where that's gotten us. And we need to be very vocal, and we need to be involved with our political system. We can't just just leave it to its devices and expect that it won't deviate from the mission set that we have delegated to the government. And uh, What about posting a cool meme on social media? Is that doing our part? Because I see that a lot. I mean, is that... Well, and, I, and I say that out of frustration because I, I have... I follow this certain amount of people and they're constantly on social media. Bah, 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 bah. Get out and do something about it. Right. A meme is not going to do anything. A post on social most of the people that follow me on social media because I don't get I don't get really political on social media because most people that follow me are on my side. And if I post a funny meme or a cartoon on social media, I'm not going to change anybody's mind. So folks, you've got to get out what Dan is talking about. You've got to get out and do something. He just said, you know, asleep at the wheel. That's the problem. We're, we go to social media and we type stuff on there. Wow, that's really good. I did my point. No, get out and vote. Get involved with things or else we're, gonna, we're already losing it. But we've got to do something. And people need to be informed too. Uh, you know, go to your proper or I guess proper news sources. News sources uh, and stay away from mainstream because uh, the last uh, couple of weeks has shown what that's to be just uh, looking at the Supreme Court nomination process uh, for a justice who's more than qualified. She's being demonized for her religion and love of country for right. what it comes down to because she doesn't uh, necessarily support uh, you know certain things that the far left wants to do to this country. Yep. And that's called judicial activism. And uh, you know, government belongs in the hands of the people. And uh, touching on that point, judges shouldn't be out there trying to uh, create legislation by fiat, by uh, uh, decisions, injunctions, and what have you that have a nationwide impact. Uh, you know that needs to be stopped. Uh, you know people need to be involved. Voting, yeah. arm themselves with knowledge and get involved. Uh, Dan is providing a perfect mechanism uh, for a militia, and then just uh, 
tell your uh, brothers and sisters out there, uh, family members, friends, get out there and vote. Got to do it. That's right. That's right. How do people get a hold of you? We need to. We'll wrap it up. But how how do they get a hold of the militia or uh, let, let's say they're a business owner and remember they're. Uh, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whatever. This isn't restricted, like I said, to the white male. No, so absolutely not. male, female, they welcome, and I've seen it. I've gone to their meetings. They welcome everybody. So, you know, a business owner or, or individual that says, you know what, I want to get in. And, and we got to reiterate, Dan is here to support law enforcement. Dan is here to support the Constitution, to support what's right. The love of God, the love of country, that's what we're here for. We're, he's not here to turn things upside down like like that bad word militia, you know, has been misused. So uh, give them a shot. Get out to a meeting. Yeah, so the easiest way to, to get a hold of us, so we do have a website. It's uh, www.campbellmilitia.com. Um, and the other thing I'll do is I'm just going to give you my cell phone number. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to me via text message or phone call, I have absolutely no issue with that. And I can be reached at area code 518-338-5112. Yep. And yeah, so, if you guys want to reach out, feel free. Yep. So say say the website one more time and then say sure. your phone number one more time. Yep. The website. So if you're driving, pull over, get a piece of paper. Okay, are, they, are you pulled over now? Okay, they're pulled over on the side of the road. All right, perfect. Um, and you have a pen? You got a pen? Okay, good. All right, here we go. It's www.campbellmilitia.com, and that's C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L-M-I-L-I-T-I-A.com. And my phone number again is area code 518-338-5112. Excellent. Excellent. Appreciate everybody listening. And remember, this isn't one-sided. We're putting out facts from things that we have learned, not by watching the news, not by Wikipedia, not by watching TV, not by hearing rumors. This is facts of what we've heard. So we may have ruffled some feathers with some things, but if you keep an open mind and understand that we're talking from, uh, from a lot of experience in the room on the military side, federal law enforcement side, uh, actually going to Washington, D.C. and participating in congressional hearings um and that's where you're getting the information you guys have anything to add uh before we close I out just appreciate all your efforts marco of putting this together and everything that you're doing in the community uh clear love of country and to keep the republic uh preserved for now and the future thank you all right do you have anything to add no nope, i think i'm all set all right all set you guys we appreciate you listening and um uh be safe have a plan Remember, uh, from the beginning of this podcast, I said get to the grocery store. Dan has said it before. Walt said it. You don't have to go out and spend a fortune to be prepared. But if we prepare for a storm, which we all three believe is coming, prepare for a storm and it doesn't hit, then we've lost nothing. Um, you don't have to spend a fortune at the grocery store. Just pick up a couple cans of tuna or some this or that. And it's not, you know, you don't go get ho-hos or, uh, or little Debbies and stuff. You're not, look, this is just simple survival food. So don't overthink it, but uh, have a plan. Be safe, everyone, and uh, reduce injuries and save lives.